until we introduce you. <laughs> Welcome to the wardrobe. This is the Who You Know podcast. I'm Rylan Deemer. And I'm Elisa Wilde. And today we have a very special guest joining us. Friend, co-worker, Katie Daniels. We're so happy to have you here. Thanks. I'm excited to be on. Um, also, we tried something new today, which uh, I was pretty excited to, to give a shot. I don't know how it turned out because we, we haven't talked about it. We saved it for you all at home. Uh, but before we started recording, we did a brief meditation. And I'm really curious uh, what your experience was of that. So you, like, asked us to notice ourselves before and after. And I feel like I noticed two big things for me is my shoulders were really sore after, but my <laughs> mind, like, my head felt clear, like it, like I was congested before, but then wasn't. Mentally, I don't know. Mentally clear. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The best way I can describe it is I felt, like, heavy but in a good way like almost mm. like i was like on a cloud heavy on a cloud <laughs> like lit. you might need to explain Ma maybe that. light is a better word <laughs> maybe light is a better word <laughs> but like very calm very relieved very relaxed did like, you feel grounded yes that? Okay. yes grounded that's that actually cloud. is the perfect descriptor okay grounded yeah but yeah, I always have shoulder tension. And so then I really noticed it because we were holding our hand up here. But during it, I think I was like, had these like skeptical feelings of like, because like one of my nostrils, oh, this is so hard to explain because you didn't do it with us. But like, we breathed in one nostril, let it out the other, breathed in, let it out the other. And so like one of my nostrils is more congested than the other. And so the whole time I'm like, I feel like I'm not getting enough air. Like, what is it? What am I going to feel like after this? Which I'm not supposed to be having these feelings, but I did <laughs> during. Sure. But like, no, that's fine. Um, so I was surprised when I, like, opened my eyes and I was like, oh, I do feel different. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think it becomes more effective over time as, like, some of those growing pains or whatever kind of get worked out with repetition of the, the practice. But, yeah, I, I really enjoy teaching that one. I've taught it a few times at this point because it's... It's, you know, simple. It's quick. I think we probably only spent like three minutes actually doing the meditation. It's also a little goofy because, like Elisa was saying, like you use your hand for part of the meditation. And you actually like plug one nostril, breathe in, and then switch which nostril you have plugged and breathe out. I like what you said about how like you felt skeptical during it, but even even with that skepticism afterward, you still felt like some kind of difference. Yeah. And I, like the same thing that you both felt in some way, like feeling gr grounded afterward mm -hmm. or feeling um, what, like clear-headed. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I get that feeling too. For me, it feels almost like a, a confidence or like a self-assuredness that, that I just kind of come out of that meditation with and mm -hmm. um, so really enjoy it. How often do you do that one? So uh, that one I practiced for a couple weeks before I moved on to like the next stage of that meditation. Yeah. So the next stage of that, you you kind of get rid of the, the hand operation of the nostrils and you just breathe in on your own, focusing on the sensation in one nostril and mm. then focusing on the other nostril as you exhale. 
Hmm. So like you learn how to focus your attention. You're still breathing in through both and out through both, but you're able to really fine tune your the focus of your attention to one side or the other and experience only the sensation on that side. So how long do you think it took for you to get to a point where you like stopped letting outside thoughts creep into your meditation? Oh, that, that, does that make sense? That still happens. Okay. I've been meditating for years and that's that's still uh, a frequent occurrence. Okay. And I'd say that almost in some ways it, it kind of is just a part of meditation. When When I started meditating, I used to kind of like beat myself up when I'd get distracted mm-hmm. and I'd be thinking about other things or I'd start the meditation and like a third of the way through I I would just be like on some uh, random train of thought but you know you you just keep like recentering on the meditation trying to get back into it and what that teaches you is that you can make mistakes and forgive yourself and just move on mm-hmm. so like you're actually flexing the part of your mind that can forgive yourself for making mistakes So that's, like, one of the things that you get from meditation. Like, those of you at home who really struggle with, like, your thoughts kind of spinning out of control anytime that you've tried to focus on something, meditation can really help with that because you you stop, like, stressing yourself out about it. You start being compassionate toward yourself. And I I have done some meditations through, like, the Headspace app, Mm -hmm. and I remember one of the things it said on there during a meditation was... Even the ability to recognize, like mid meditation, that your thoughts are wandering is like a win. Yeah, oh. like it's that that kind of signals that you're like tuned into the meditation process that you can recognize maybe that your thoughts are wandering and yeah, that was kind of an interesting perspective that made me feel a little better about the process. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I find myself wandering thoughts during anything not like just meditation (laughs) so like even when I'm sitting in a meeting and I'm like oh my god what was the last sentence that person just said I don't even know what was Mm -hmm. I thinking about and then I like focus myself back in and that's one reason I wanted to get better at doing meditation this year was to help focus my thoughts easier Mm -hmm. but yeah and I like the one that I taught today because it does consume a lot of your Mm -hmm. your your uh, attention because you're operating the nostrils manually. And so you don't typically have much left over beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised because when you said that, I was like, oh, he doesn't know how my brain works. Like, it's always on, like, thoughts, thinking about 100 things at once. But while I was doing it, yeah, I was literally focusing on breathing in and breathing out. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get enough air. Yeah, so I, I think um, a lot of modern meditation practice at least in the u.s tends to be like mindfulness kind of stuff Mm -hmm. but there's such a broad variety of meditative practices and and some of them work well for some people and some of them don't and it's it's really a like a a learning process to figure out which meditation is kind of right for you at any point in your life yeah uh so this yeah this week (laughs) was Valentine's Day. Yeah, that was this week. Oh, so happy like, Valentine's like Day. Together. That's right. <laughs> happy Valentine's Day, you guys. We, What's that this week? It was Monday. Oh, but I guess so, like, when it'll this be episode like two releases. Weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, every day could be Valentine's Day. Celebrate it again today. <laughs> also, I love everyone who's watching this episode right now. Why? With all oh. of my heart. I was like, why do you love them? <laughs> but I don't love the people that are just listening. That, that I, I like them. 
Yeah, so I feel like we probably all celebrated Valentine's Day one way or another, did you? Yes. What did you do? <laughs> TJ and I went to our favorite Indian restaurant. Ooh. We were just talking about that. Yes. Wait. Wait, is it? Well, you don't yes. need to say it. But yes, it's the place you know. We know. Yes, yeah. yes. The place we know and love, yes. And TJ and I have become very close with the owners, which oh, is kind of cool. Um, oh. They, they opened, like, almost exactly two years ago um, today. To, yeah, almost exactly. Um, so we've kind of like grown to know them because we, you know, we started doing it mid-COVID when mm-hmm. takeout was a thing, and we've kept going almost weekly, sometimes like twice a week, That's amazing. <laughs> more than we should. But yeah, so he made a reservation there. We went there. Um, we got each other like some small gifts. I framed his FSA diploma for oh. him. Yes, so that will be hanging on his wall in his office. Congratulations, TJ. Um, yes. <laughs> and then he got me, like, a little hiking backpack thing. Oh. So for when we go hiking, it holds, like, wa- water. It's like a camelback backpack, and then I can put my phone in it. Yeah. But funny story, I actually discovered what he got me before he got me it, which was kind of disappointing you- for him. Did you keep it a secret from him until you got it? Okay, so until he started talking about it, and then I was like, I feel too bad, I have to tell you. <laughs> but he wrote it on his notepad in his office. And for those of you who know me, you know that I'm, like, pretty psycho about, like, keeping things clean and organized. Mm-hmm. So I found a note, like, when I was cleaning his office up, and it said, like, buy this for Katie for Valentine's <laughs> Day. And so I was specific. like, yeah, you could have hit it a little better. <laughs> But yeah, so that's that's my Valentine's Day story. <laughs> so that's really cool. How important is it to you to like have that day to to like celebrate love? I think it's important. Like I would probably be insulted if he didn't do something. Mm-hmm. But something unique about TJ is like he doesn't like to do like stereo stereotypical like things. For example, he doesn't like to buy flowers on Valentine's Day. Like, he would rather buy flowers on, like, a random day and surprise me. So he's maybe, like, a little less, like, traditionally romantic. But because he knows that it's important to me and, like, I value that kind of stuff, he kind of follows through with, like, the practicing traditions. Yeah. I like it. And, like, on Valentine's Day, we didn't have reservations till the day after. So on Valentine's Day, we made dinner together, and we, like, never do that. And so it felt like a special day and then Dan was like well we should do it more often and I'm like I don't know though because then it wouldn't feel as special like nah yeah I was like it like took longer than usual because we're just like taking our time because it's our like way of celebrating but like if we did that every night yeah it just wouldn't feel as special so I was like nah it was like a good time to do it yeah and then I said we should have a Valentine's week next year (laughs) because I liked it a week of celebration one on one what did you make um, it was like, so we just started subscribing to HelloFresh. So it was our oh, first, yeah. very first meal we cooked, and it was like a spinach ricotta. They are not sponsoring ravioli. this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't even know if I like it yet. So, but I mean, I liked it this week so far, but it mm. was, yeah, it was a pasta dish, but like I could have chosen from three meals. So I tried to choose the one that was like more Valentine's Day. Yeah, uh, Chen and I went out to a steakhouse on Valentine's Day, but we, like, waited too long to try to find a reservation, so it was, like, the only steakhouse that still had seats available. And when we got seated, we were seated right next to friend of the show, Stephen Zittner, and his oh fiance. Oh, my gosh. 
And so, uh, yeah, that was really cool. We were like at the tables next to each other, so we got to like interact a bit. But what I thought was like really entertaining or interesting, maybe, is just like the different ways that like me and Chen interact versus like Steven and his fiance. Uh, like they were like, you know, showing each other like videos on their phones and like laughing oh, about yeah. it. Chen and I were like career strategizing and like, <laughs> oh my god, yeah, it was. There's like two totally different like ways of like being a couple together, and I I thought that was super cool. Like, yeah, seeing the difference in and just how we are. I think it'd be intimidating to sit next to people I knew on a Valentine's Day I dinner. Do too. It was interesting. I think I think both tables like our the volume of our our conversations kind of dropped a bit. That's but, good. There, I did like the place where we had our reservations. They have booths that like block you off from everyone. I was like, I yes, I don't that. have to yeah, see anyone nice. else. I love high back chairs. I love booths. I love the cat using the litter box right next to us during recording. That's the first, I think. Yeah. <laughs> She's feeling really comfortable. Yeah. So, like, what were you, what was your conversations like? I can't even say this again. <laughs> My words are not coming out. We're professionals. What was your, what was your conversation it's like funny, on Valentine's it's Day? It's funny you say that because we're like at the point where we're like, sometimes we go out and it's like, what do we talk about? Because <laughs> we like talk so much and spend so much time together. And while we were there, the owner, one of the owners who works as like a waitress, was she kept coming up to our table to talk to us about various things. And then at the end of our dinner, she apologized for, like, hijacking our Valentine's Day date. <laughs> yeah. And TJ made a comment, like, oh, it's okay. Like, mm -hmm. we this isn't, like, super special to us anymore because we've been <laughs> dating for <laughs> however many years. Yeah. So it's funny. But we we talk about, like, we talk about work a lot. There's a lot of that. that. Yeah. A lot of, like, me just spewing on about random things I'm, I'm stressed about and him listening and then um <laughs> well yeah i was wondering if it was like very like work like the work you do focused or like people at work focused because like you always have to talk about the people you work yeah with, there's but... some people there's also there's a lot of like work we do too yeah um so i recently transitioned into a new role which is a role that T a product that tj has some experience on mm -hmm. so we're kind of like feeding off of each other there like he's like have yeah. you done this yet so it's nerdy but it works yeah it's <laughs> yes. nice mm -hmm. with dating a co-worker also an actuary mm -hmm. at this like there's a lot involved with that <laughs> how how long did it take before you like told the company like oh we're we're a couple now or is it like out right away or did you tell yeah, yeah. is this a secret is this no yeah no one knows <laughs> never like formally disclosed it i don't know if you're mm. supposed to do that um you don't i read the handbook you do not have to okay under oh. under most circumstances okay um but i feel like tj and i moved very quickly like we moved in together after like six months of dating mm. so i would say like you know, after like two months, he was kind of coming up in conversations I would have with like my boss or like, you know, people on my team. So people kind of figured out pretty quickly. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just reflecting on my life. Over yeah. There. You, you, you have your own experience. <laughs> yes. With this, so I'm, I'm sure there's some common ground. Yeah. Because I don't even remember what it was like at first. So that's why I was like reflecting. Did you ever find it 
awkward to talk about it at first or like you didn't want to bring it up is that why it kind of like two months yeah maybe a little yeah or just like not wanting to bring it up too early in case like things don't pan out and like obviously that's a concern but now it's just like normal Speaking of love, yeah, uh, the Tinder swindler sure made a lot of women feel like he loved them. Have um, you guys watched or not? I haven't watched it. I do okay. know a little bit of like some stuff that happened or like a thing that happened after. Okay. All of that. Okay. Maybe um, you know something I don't know, but possibly. But could you give us like a little bit of the yes. like give us the summary story? Yes. So basically, it's this guy who comes off as a billionaire to females. So he, like, has this persona. He's like, oh, I'm this billionaire. He, like, wines and dines them, like, takes them on his private jet, um, and then basically convinces them that, like, he's involved. He has, like, enemies, and he's in danger, and because of, like, security threats... He has to, like, stop using his cards and, like, his bank account and stuff. So then he convinces these females to give him money. So, like, he kind of, like, I think the swindler thing is, like, he's super, you know, Rico Suave, like, come into my private jet. They, like, latch on, Mm -hmm. get comfortable with him, and then he's, like, okay, now can you take out a loan and, like, write me a check for, like, $250,000? Oh, my God. And these women do it, which is just wild to me. But at the same time, it's like they think he's a billionaire. I don't know. Yeah, and like and they assume he's gonna pay them back. That's the thing. And everything he's presenting is yes, like exactly a billionaire. Yes. Yeah. So the it really truly like you find out as you meet more women who were involved with him that it like truly is a Ponzi scheme. Like he started with one, and then like once he got that one to a point where she was feeding him money, he would use that money to start like swooning the next one. So he kind of built, like, this infrastructure that, like, allowed him to, like, continually pursue these women and live this, like, lavish lifestyle. But and he's, he's referred to as the Tinder swindler. Is that because he set up all of this through yes, Tinder? Like, he met all these Tinder. women through Tinder? Yes. And this, mm-hmm. this occurred in Europe? Yes. Okay. Yep. Is the show more about telling the stories of people he cheated or, like... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's very it much telling the stories of people he cheated, like... You meet them, you know, they're interviewed one-on-one in the documentary, and then he, like, you would think he would be locked up in jail. Like, spoiler alert, he's not. He's still out there, which is just wild, but... Not only that, but um, I just learned that he actually is on Cameo, or was as of, like, a (laughs) day ago. What does that mean? So so Cameo is a website where... uh, like celebrities will like have a cameo profile and then they'll set like a price like two hundred dollars and if you pay them two hundred dollars you'll get a, a cameo made oh where they'll they'll say whatever so you can like send two hundred dollars and say hey I want you to wish uh, my wife a happy birthday and then the celebrity will get on camera and be like oh happy birthday uh, Sarah and like whatever and that's that's what cameo is like celebrities will get little bits of money for like a, a 20 second video yeah he's on cameo like selling <laughs> i i think i think his rate was 200 dollars, and so you could get like a tinder swinder cameo oh my gosh. which is so like 
awful. Awful. Like, why are they letting him be on the platform? No, why are people supporting him? I know. I think people think it's funny. And, like, I watched it with TJ, and TJ was so fixated on this concept of, like, why are these women giving him money? Like, why would they do that? Like, and his point was, like, if you know, if the person's a billionaire, they're, like, never going to ask you for money. Like, a billionaire should not be asking people for money. But at the same time, he just orchestrated this big scheme about how he was in danger and he would like send pictures of his security guard being like beat up and say like they're coming for you like they're coming for us and all this stuff it was wild i i i don't think i can blame the victims Mm -hmm. (laughs) at all in this case like it's especially when you've got like emotions involved with something like presumably a lot of these women actually loved him Mm -hmm. Well, if I thought of him, like, I'm picturing, like, what if it was my boyfriend? Like, and I thought of him exactly how he is today and didn't know that he was, like, some fake guy, Mm -hmm. then I probably would. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the good thing about the documentary is that it's getting his name out or his Mm -hmm. his fake name and his real name because he has multiple identities and whatnot. So hopefully he won't be able to continue doing it. (laughs) Yeah. And as I was, like... As you were talking about it, I was thinking about the legal aspects, and I have no legal experience at all, so don't listen to me. But I was just wondering, like, if these people are willingly giving them their money, I feel like there's not a way to, like, get that money back. Like, it wasn't like you signed a contract saying you'll pay me back, but I don't know. It's, um, I imagine some of the countries that he operated through would probably have fraud laws that would cover that. I forgot it wasn't even in the U.S. There's, like, a disclaimer at the end of it that, one, like, one of the women is, like, still working on paying back her loans or something. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that, well, yeah. yeah that, I mean, that's, a, that like, 250000 That's a lot of money. Yeah. And I should I should add a disclaimer that I don't think my boyfriend TJ is a victim shamer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think he so. Just, we were just brainstorming yeah. the thought process through, throughout the documentary. <laughs> I think... I think and I do this too. Mm-hmm. I think it's easy from like an outsider's perspective to kind of think like logically. Oh yeah. Like, obviously, oh, yeah. I wouldn't do this, but yep. it's yeah. like another thing entirely to kind of be in, in the situation. It. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And well, yeah, because at first I was like, it's like ripping off old people. Like, mm-hmm. how can they do this? But then, yeah, then I had the like rewiring of like, well, if it was my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So you guys um, should check it out. Well, you're kind of making me want to, but I, I, like, don't watch TV that much. But, so, I had one more question. Did he, like, keep the girls involved continuously while he had other ones or just cut it off and then move on? It, it seemed like there would be a point at which it cut off because it would, he would get a very big loan and then he would be like, oh, I just, here's a check. And then the check would never actually, like, go through so then it would get to a point where like the women were so fed up that they weren't getting their money that they realized what was going on so it was kind of like a one-time thing he would get as much money out of one as he could and then like move on to the to the next gotcha sometimes there were like a couple transactions involved but yeah generally it wouldn't like last for more than like 12 months so i'm guessing he was not in any of these episodes or in the show no (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, but you could, you know, get a cameo if you want. True. Yeah, go out there. <laughs> could ask him, can, can you answer these questions for me? 
And I just wonder how like premeditated beforehand it was or if he was just flying by the seat of his pants. Like it just worked so he kept doing it. Probably at the beginning a yeah. little bit yeah. of that. I, I don't know how you like get to that point though where you're like, oh, I'm just going to fleece this person for 200K. I know. Like, I don't know. I wouldn't be able to look at myself in the mirror. So. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you, you like crime in general, <laughs> right? Or I crime do. shows. Just crime. Uh, so I think Hold that's something that both you and Elisa uh, have in common. Yeah. But, I just don't like watch shows as much, but like I'm always invested when I hear about crimes. And so like even my favorite shows probably have a crime in it that mm -hmm. they're solving. But like I don't even know how to answer this question. I don't know if you do. <laughs> why do you like crime stuff so know. much? Like I why don't know. why do we get so invested? And there's like a running joke on my team now at work. It's like <laughs> Katie's gonna kill someone someday. <laughs> like a joke, a joke. But like, I, I just every time people are like, "Well, what are you doing this weekend? Like, what have you been watching on Netflix?" It's like always some sort of like serial killer, like murder documentary. You're like, oh, this weekend I'm sharpening my knife collection. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I feel it's... like it would be the opposite. Like, I feel like I would get so much paranoia around something happening to me. It's mm. like the way I think it would happen. Yeah, that sometimes does happen but then there's like okay you like surround yourself with good people and you have to trust that i don't know but it is i don't know why i'm interested in it maybe it's just like i think it's just this fixation of like how can people be like so horrible to like and then the whole process of like how they go about covering up their tracks and like yeah. how it's led to like them being discovered and mm -hmm. all that type of stuff and I think part of it for me is, like, I almost, like, always need closure on something. Mm -hmm. And so if something is, like, unsolved, it just, like, mm -hmm. gets me. And I'm, like, that's why I think those are my favorite shows or books because, like, it keeps me interested mm -hmm. the entire time because I need to know the ending. But, like, also, like you said, like, I can't imagine how people do things like this. So, like, but I don't know. I just want to know the motivations behind their actions and... I have a I hard I have a hard time like one of the podcasts I listen to um it's called The Murder Squad and it's like two guys that talk about cases that have like gone cold so like haven't been solved yet oh. um and they try to like recruit like this crew of like people that listen to their documentary to like dive into the details cuz there are people out there that oh, like yeah. really get into that stuff and that one like it is so unsatisfying because they lay out all this deep these details about this crime and like there's no conclusion yeah but that, do they do have they ever solved any as a result they of have that, yeah that's and that's what's wild that's cool so they have a website where they put up like you know pictures images all the documents related to the case that they have and these two guys like one of them well both of them one's like an investigative journalist the other one was a detective who actually solved like the Golden State Killer case and was involved in Whoa. that? So they're like high profile, yeah. um, so they know what they're doing. But yeah, it's it's crazy. They just put everything out there that they know, and then they like tell people go go investigate. Yeah. Did you ever follow like the last thing I followed super intently? It was the Gabby Petito case. Yeah. Did you? So like that one just I think it blew up on TikTok. But I feel like every like, obviously, people dove into the details, like you said. But I still feel like every video I watched 
was mostly wrong about what happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> about There's like a these lot people of... digging into photos and being like, oh, this happened here. But a lot of speculation. And that yeah. one was interesting because it was happening like pretty much live, like yeah. all the speculation. Whereas like a lot of the stuff I watch, you know, it happened like X number of years ago and you're like rewatching the the process of everything. But do you ever get invested in some of the cases and try to find stuff like on social media not really no i one recently that i've watched is it's a documentary on hbo called the jinx and it's about um robert durst and he was a suspected serial killer but this one was very interesting because he agreed to do the documentary so he has never he has never been like convicted of his crimes and he he killed multiple people like it's pretty obvious but comes from a family with a lot of money and like somehow has just managed to like get out of all of these killings hmm. so he agreed to do a documentary the whole thing is footage of them interviewing him like he's wow. old he was old when they filmed it um he's trying to you know prove his innocence throughout this documentary um go watch it the end scene is incredible and ultimately like provided some evidence that like led them to actually convict him oh my gosh. so he was convicted and then he recently died like i think in like like very recently a couple Maybe. months ago oh. he actually that passed away i heard of him yep okay yep but yeah another co-worker was the one who actually told me about that one and i watched it and i got through it in like two days and it's multiple episodes it's really good so when you're when you're watching like a crime show, crime documentary, internally like, how are you feeling, or like, can you like notice something about yourself as you're watching it? Just like, it's like a mystery to me. It's like when you're reading like a really good book and you like don't want to put it down. Mm-hmm. It's that it's that same feeling. It's like, so you're kind of trying to figure it out. Yeah, put the pieces together like you know what's gonna happen and Mm -hmm. i don't know a lot of times like if it's a high profile case like i know what happens in the end of it it's just kind of like recapping the process but yeah i'm really into like (laughs) interrogation type stuff too Mm -hmm. so a lot of the documentaries contain like footage of them like interrogating the person and i find that type of stuff really interesting like how law enforcement like coerces people into getting confessions and things like that so there's that like psychological element of it too that i try to like tune into yeah i i think i like that human aspect of like how people operate Mm -hmm. like how the mind works Mm -hmm. and then being able to like get information out of somebody by kind of understanding Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. yeah i do love the psychological aspect yeah Psychological thrillers yep. are also fun genre yes. for me. Speaking of psychology, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we're in a profession that I think is overall not super stressful on, like, the work end of things. Um, but academically, you know, we've got one of, if not the most challenging mm-hmm. exam process mm-hmm. of any profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, what advice do you have for our listeners and viewers about how to how to manage that exam stress. Yeah, um, that's something that I struggle with, honestly. <laughs> um, I feel like the biggest thing for me is like, I have to sit back sometimes and like put things in perspective. Like, 
I feel like if I sit down and I study for six hours, like <laughs> I leave the room and like everything's tense and I'm all worried. And then I like have to take deep breaths and be like, listen, like even if you fail this, you have like friends that support you, you have family that supports you. Like, so it's like taking a step back and like reminding myself of like, it's gonna be okay. Yeah, <laughs> but not... that's difficult, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like your mind consumes you mm -hmm. sometimes of like, this is the most important thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's like, yeah, I have a I have a problem of like letting those things kind of spiral out, out of control and like, yeah, get super zoned in. And then I'm always thinking super negatively. And then that's why like, you know, bringing TJ into the picture, he's like a good balancing act mm -hmm. in that sense, because he is very laid back and very like, you know, you've put in the work, you've done all you can do, like kind of that nice balance, like. So is, does he kind of like talk you down from yeah. those heightened states? Yes. Is that how it, how it helps? Yep, exactly. Is that ever like, does that ever make you more stressed or more intimidated because you're both actuaries and he has such a different mindset and you're like, yeah, oh. that's, that's the thing that is challenging. Like I always assumed like, oh, if I go date someone that's in like a very um, technical field, similar to the field that I'm in, they'll think like me. And then like, TJ is like polar opposite. Like he is not like anxious. He's very laid back. He's super calm. Things come very, very, very naturally to him. So like it, he has a great work ethic, but like, I feel like I have to study like, you know, double or triple what he does, whether it's because I actually need to or because my mind tells myself that I need to is like a different story. But it's it's interesting how you can have two people that are like so different that yeah. are still in the in the same profession. Like, <laughs> yeah, and Elisa told me um, before you got here um, that there's one time when you after an exam you felt so terribly about it, but when you actually got the results, mm -hmm. you had scored the absolute highest that you can get. Yeah. On the exam. <laughs> so, like, what's that about? How do, how does that happen? I don't know. That's like what drives me crazy about myself. Like, I go into something and I tell myself that like I'm horrible and that I failed, and then it's like mm -hmm. you end up passing. And I, do you think like sometimes that happens to me because I want myself to think the worst so that way if something better I does happen, I don't feel like it's that though. I oh, feel really? like I truly, truly think I do poorly. Yeah. Like huh. it, it is like an internal thing where like I convince myself, and I, I guess the only way I can describe it is like maybe I feel like sometimes I get too hung up on what I don't understand and forget oh. about what I do understand. Like. Focus on so, the negatives. yes, focusing on the negatives. Like, there's yeah. that element of, like, pessimism, you know? Yep. So I've I've been trying to be better about that, like, flipping the switch in my brain to be like, okay, you don't know this, but you do know all of these things, you know? So yeah. so you're able to, like, recognize that. Yeah. Okay. I'm and getting then, better at that for sure. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And how, like, you're sitting there, you're thinking, you're kind of ruminating on the negative, and then you sort of realize... Oh, I'm doing this thing. Mm -hmm. What do you do mentally to like actually flip the switch? Like what what is that like? How do you experience that? I think it's just like I get to a point where I'm like, well, a lot of times it will be someone else like 
mentioning something, you know, mm-hmm. like if if TJ can tell that I'm like super down and being negative, he'll be like, but hey, like, let's, mm-hmm. you know, focus on the positive. So that's helpful. And I feel like that was like a preliminary step. Like that's how I started to be able to recognize. Yeah. Was that like other people would say something and then I would be able to switch the flip. And I feel like now I've just kind of gotten to the point where like, yeah, if I'm I'm thinking super negatively, it's like, okay, Katie. Like <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that's nice. Mm-hmm. One of the things you said, like I feel like the first part is recognizing that you are focusing mm-hmm. on the negatives because like sometimes mm-hmm. you might even not even know. It's just where your mind mm-hmm. is. But. And when something like that happens to you where you like feel really bad and then you get the highest score, it's like those types of wins too help you realize, like build up your confidence and, yeah, and things like that. It kind of it like decreases the credibility mm-hmm. of like the anxious mm-hmm. part of the mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we talk about this a lot, like with coworkers and stuff about like imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. like it carries over into the workplace too, you know, like I'm always like, Oh my gosh, my boss like probably doesn't think I understand what I'm doing. Like <laughs> she well, probably thinks I'm like such a lousy employee. And then it's like, you get one piece of like positive feedback and you're like, okay, reset. So even even when I receive positive feedback, I'll like end the call and be like, did he really mean that? Or I know. is he just trying to make me feel better? <laughs> like there's those negative thoughts creeping exactly. in. Exactly. Like, I think it's part part of that for me is like a strive to just do better. But it is like I focus on the negatives. I'm like, but I want to do this better. But I want to do this better. Yeah. It is a tough balance because it's like I appreciate that side of me because it does push me to have a better work ethic and like it, it's a motivating thing. So I don't ever want to lose that part of me mm-hmm. completely. But at the same time, like there's a part, there's a point at which it becomes like unhealthy. Yeah. And I, I think imposter syndrome is really common in our profession. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I wonder if, you know, as actuaries, we are taught to kind of uh, unwind some of our internal biases and and look at situations from multiple angles and kind of uh, you you like doubt your own initial response and have to like sit back and think think about like does the data support this can I justify this have I talked to experts like all of that I I'm wondering if there's some aspect of like I can't trust my gut because i need to support it in other ways yeah that's that, an that interesting. kind of like yeah and i like that thought process i was even thinking maybe our profession is sort of competitive too because we have those levels of exams where you're like oh you have more exams passed than me you must be smarter than me and like so then you're trying to compete like no i can show that i'm smarter than that person or like I just feel like there's a little bit of competitiveness added in when we have, like, different levels Mm -hmm. of our And, like, expectations by level, too. Like, I think that's something that my team is working on, like, developing out is, like, making it less subjective. Like, listing out, like, specific things that they expect, you know, someone at one level to be doing that maybe someone at another level couldn't. And I think that will be very helpful for people like me who, like... Because I just need something, like, quantitative. I need to, like, be able to look at a piece of paper and be like, this is what level you should be at. Then it'll, I guess, give me comfort. It's kind of the way our mind works, too. I feel like it's like, what do the numbers say? Mm -hmm. And, like, but that, 
when you said that, I was like, oh man, that like just increases competitiveness more, true, right? True, true, that's but true. <laughs> I think that's part of our imposter syndrome. And I think when we look at that, like maybe checklist of what we need to be doing, we'll be like, oh yeah, like I'm doing that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I'm fine, yeah. I don't know why, yeah. It creeps up on me every single day. Even probably sitting here at this table, I'm like, am I doing a good enough job mm-hmm. asking questions? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think about it every single time and like every conversation I have with someone I leave and I'm like, did they feel okay when I said this? <laughs> and Alisa, do you, uh, like as you're going through the editing process, does that help um, with that or does that like kind of make it worse? That's a good question. So in a different way than I think you would think it's helped me get better, but I think it's because I've listened to myself talk so much now. At first it bothered me. I was like, I need to stop doing this or stop saying this, or like I should have asked a different question here or made them feel more comfortable when I said this. And now I think I've just kind of ignored it because I'm so Mm -hmm. used to hearing how I talk and I I don't know if I've really changed it so now I'm so used to it that I it kind of like just goes through me. And so now I would need someone else to almost say like, hey, <laughs> what about this? Because I've gotten so used to it. Um, so I don't think it's actually helped my thoughts like after the podcast. I think I'm still always like a little nervous, but right. I just kind of ignore it when I'm editing now. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely still times I say, but yeah, a lot when I'm done like saying a sentence, and so I still like almost always try to cut those out during editing, but I'm so used to being like, oh, yep, I did it again, delete. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> so uh, exam stress, imposter syndrome, do these things impact your life in any way? Like my own experience of, of these things uh, can cause some like sleep disruption for instance mm-hmm. so like how how do you experience like the fallout from those things yeah surprisingly i sleep so well I, you wouldn't think i do but, <laughs> but i have i have never had an issue sleeping like the second my head hits the pillow i fall asleep <laughs> but i do feel like i manifest my anxiety in like relationships with others like mm-hmm. um TJ always comments on how, like, the months before an exam, like, I am, like, much, <laughs> he enjoys being around me less than, like, other, <laughs> other times of the year because I feel like I project my anxiety. Like, whether it's, like, hurrying around the kitchen and, like, trying to clean things up, like, I just make it more obvious mm-hmm. when I am feeling that stress. So I do think it, like, manifests on relationships with, with others, which I try to be cognizant of. Yeah, I'd feel that. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I just have bad days sometimes, mm-hmm. and I just say it. I'm like, sorry, not not feeling great today. Yep. I might be a little iffy on my <laughs> reaction yep. towards you. Yeah, I um, it's like I've got like a certain amount of capacity for stressors. Mm-hmm. So like, if I have something going on that I'm just like hanging on to as like anxiety, then I've only got like a little bit of wiggle room. And if something like exceeds that, and it's like, yeah, now I'm grumpy. <laughs> but like when I'm when I'm able to like manage the anxiety well, then like my threshold's just a lot higher. Do you ever notice? Like I notice it on my like physical well-being too. Mm-hmm. Do you ever notice that? Yeah, I don't know if other people do. Yeah, like tension for sure. Like, yeah, that's like, mm-hmm. yeah. And like when I'm stressed, my eyes get very baggy, and I'm just mm-hmm. like shocked 
after I take an exam about how much better my face looks. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, whoa, like the stress really yeah. like mm-hmm. took out. It might be sleep too. And the first FSA exam I ever took, those were my first gray hairs. I think <laughs> wow. I think stress actually got to me. I don't think I really got any more because I got used to like what it felt like and I got less stress as I went on. But that first one, yeah, my hairs were... Like, ten of them popped out, at least. I feel like I have, like, wrinkles because my brows are, like, furrowed so much, like, while I'm studying and, like, <laughs> pondering things. <laughs> That's one physical thing I noticed. Imagine when you're older telling your grandkids, this I'm is like, from this exam. I know. I need to start wrinkle cream at 26. <laughs> Do you get, like, uh, I guess your sleep is kind of like a physical. Sleep is the big one for me. Yeah. Definitely. Um... I've been, uh, not to continue harping on meditation, um, but meditation's been like a big improvement to my ability to fall asleep. So um, I still, like if I'm stressed, I'll still like wake up more often, but uh, at least I've been able to like shorten the time that it takes for me to fall asleep from like an hour and a half to two hours to like um, 10 to 20 minutes. And sometimes... You kind of said, like, relationships with people. And even, like, sometimes I, like, have to weigh the option of, like, okay, I'm very stressed out right now. I need, like, telling myself I need to keep studying. But, like, people are going to do something tonight. And I was mm-hmm. like, then I weigh the options of, like, should I really study more and think I'll, like, have a higher chance of passing if I spend four more hours studying tonight? Or do I need a break? Or, like, do I not want to waste this part of my life? Sometimes I choose to study, but... <laughs> yeah, I feel like I normally do, and sometimes I'm like, maybe I shouldn't. But yeah. the, the hard part about that anxiety is, like, if you, at least for me, if I do go do the other thing, I cannot enjoy the other thing yeah. because my brain is constantly reminding myself that, like, I should be studying. Well, yeah. like, the other thing kind of offsetting is, like, well, I could have time to spend with people now, but, like, don't I just want to get the exam over with so mm-hmm. then I can have as much time as I want mm-hmm. with people, but... It's so hard. It is hard. So, um, is there anything else that you wanted to to discuss? I don't think so. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to end it there. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really glad that we were able to, to bring you onto the podcast. Thank it's you for having me. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Bye, everyone.